This Saturday afternoon at 4 is Nat's Prom, the weird Nat-centric party that you never knew that you needed. Come hang out at Walters with all of your social media and real-life Nat's friends while we watch the boys take on the Giants later Saturday night. Walters is showing UFC 264 featuring Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Sunday, we have the Euro Final. Make your weekend plans at Walters now. Walters is open until 2 a.m. This week, you and some friends can watch the Nats out west at Walters. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 2 1 delivery. Swing a high drive, right field deep. Back on this one, Soto looking up at the wall, and it's gone. A three run opposite field homer for Will Myers. And the Padres are in front, three to nothing. Grace Machado is warming the right-hander. 3-0 to Harrison. Swung on. Hit in the air to deep center field. This is way back. Grisham to the wall. It is gone. Goodbye. A line drive. Three-run homer over the center field wall for Josh Harrison has tied this game. The 0-1. Swing a hard line drive. Base hit left field. This is going to the corner. It'll score Machado from second. And in its second with an RBI double is Will Myers. He's driven in five by himself. He's outscoring the Nats by himself with those five RBIs. Padres lead it 7-4. to four. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, July 7, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, the good news is the Nationals got two of their previously injured pitchers back, including a starter in Derek Fetty. The bad news is the Nationals lost at the San Diego Padres late night on Tuesday night, 7-4 ends up being the final. Good to see Fetty back out there. I thought he pitched better than his final line indicated, but the outing ended up being not good enough. And Mark, the Nationals now have a very interesting decision to make with their rotation. Davey Martinez said late night on Monday night there would be roster moves. I don't know that we thought that one of the roster moves would be the activation of Fetty, and that now leads us to some more questions. Yeah, the Kyle Finnegan move, I saw that one coming. They were kind of tipping us off on that. I figured there'd be another reliever, just some other fresh arm they were bringing in. I did not expect Fetty to be back this soon starting this game because he had not faced live hitters at all. But they felt like his bullpen session between was good. It had only been 13 days since his last start. He still felt strong. And so they said, let's just put him out there on the mound. And, you know, he was all right. He certainly wasn't as good as we've seen him at times this year. And I think by the time he got to the fourth and fifth inning, he was running on fumes a little bit. But in the bigger picture, that's great to have him back because now you may even get another start from him before the all-star break. And hopefully by that point, he's in a little more rhythm and back to himself again. So that's good. But as far as the decision now, I don't know. 
here's what I would say. Right now, what this team needs more than anything are starting pitchers who can provide length for them. For their last six games, they have not reached the sixth inning, and that's having a major strain on the bullpen, which has held up you know, as well as it could under the circumstances. But at some point here, they've got to win with their starting pitching. And if they think that Fetty can do that, if they think Paolo Espino can do that, those are the guys who need to be in there, not those who are struggling to even get to the fourth or fifth inning on a regular basis. So the way this sets up, you have two more games at the Padres. Wednesday night at 10-10, Patrick Corbin will start. Game four at San Diego, Thursday night at 9-10. As mercifully, we get a game that starts before 10-10 this week. Max Scherzer will start that game. And then you have this three-game series at the San Francisco Giants to wrap up the Nats' pre-All-Star break portion of the season. Like Mark just said, you could get another start at a Fetty. He could start game three at the Giants on Sunday on four days of rest. But if you do that, then you're looking at either Paolo Espino or John Lester being out of the Nats' rotation. If we're just talking about the rotation being based on merit and nothing more, the answer is Espino stays, and it's not even a conversation. I mean, the numbers are glaring in terms of what Espino has done this year and what Lester has done this year. Even with Paolo having not been at his best on Saturday night, Espino, as of games through Monday, an ERA plus on the season of 152, 52% better than the league average. Lester, as of games through Monday, an ERA plus of 70. And even if you say, well, Espino hasn't thrown as many innings as Lester has, it actually is a little closer than you may think. Espino has thrown 40 innings on the season. Lester's at 60 and two-thirds. More innings for Lester, yes, but maybe not as much as you might think. I mean, Paolo Espino, as of games through Monday, is second on the Nats pitching staff in war. Per baseball reference this season, Max Scherzer's number one by miles, but the number two pitcher on the Nats in terms of war this year via baseball reference is Espino. So I know there's more to it than just the numbers on the year. John Lester is a veteran. John Lester is well-respected. John Lester has his great, you know, playoff track record and he's tough as nails and all these things. But if you're doing what's best for the Nationals in 2021, Espino stays in the rotation. I agree with you on that. And I think here's how they can get away with this without having to really declare anything or to permanently remove Lester from the rotation. You just say, we're giving Lester this one off. You know, it's the all-star break. You're going to reset after that. He's a veteran. We're trying to watch his innings, whatever excuse you want to come up with. I think it's a natural way to do that without necessarily doing something that is, you know, offensive to him or comes across as though you're treating a veteran with a track record like his poorly. You've got six starters at the moment because of what they did with Fetty. You have three more games this weekend and then a break. You put your best three out there, and I think they can justify that. Now, eventually that decision is going to have to come when they come out of the break. Davey did hint a little bit about how he knows Paolo is so important to them, but that part of what makes him important is that he can do so many different things. So maybe he's already trying to lay the groundwork there for moving him back into that swingman role where he starts on occasion when they need it but they have them available, short relief, long relief, whatever it is. And, you know, there's something to that, especially with a bullpen that has been so constantly in flux this year and and at the moment still doesn't have Daniel Hudson or Tanner Rainey. So maybe there is some value in that. But like I just said, I really think right now their priority has to be getting quality and length from their starters. You get that, everything else falls into place. And right now, I don't think it's any question that Paolo Espino is more likely to give you that than John Lester. I would be surprised if they demote Lester. That's not the kind of thing we see the Nats do often, but I think it's something that very much has to be on the table. I do think, though, what you just said about the way Davey is sort of setting this up, it does sound like 
Espino will be the odd man out. But we'll see. We'll see what the Nats end up doing. Espino has been really good on the year so far. He is our guy, the secret weapon. Get your t-shirt. Nat Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Fenny to the belt. Grisham off second. Cronenworth off first. The pitch. Swing and a line drive. Base hit into right center field. Robles over to cut it off. Rounding third. Coming home is Grisham. The throw will go into second. Over to third on the play is Cronenworth. And the Padres are back in front at San Diego 4 and Washington 3. All right, with Eric Fetty, I am curious about this. It's not often we see this. A guy goes, a pitcher, goes on the 10-day injured list and right away is uh, brought back to pitch at the major league level. Fetty had not pitched in a few weeks. He'd gone on the 10-day injured list on June 27th, retroactive to June 24th with a left oblique strain that, remember, he discovered it when he woke up on the morning of June 24th in another instance of just atrocious luck for Eric Fetty in his career. Like I said, I did not think he was as bad on Tuesday night as the final line indicated, but it's certainly not like he was great. Six runs in four into third innings. Began the outing well over the first three innings, three scoreless innings. 
but then gave up three runs in the bottom of the fourth, during which the big blow, the three-run opposite field homer to right by Will Myers. Fetty in that inning allowing each of the Padres' first three batters to reach base. And then Fetty got charged with three more runs in the bottom of the fifth inning, although two of the three runs charged to Fetty were scored off the reliever Sam Clay with him pitching on the mound. So better than, you know, six runs and four and a third, but still not great. Do you think Fetty was disserved by not getting a rehab outing, or do you think the outing on Tuesday night really had nothing to do with Fetty having not had a minor league rehab start? I think in a perfect world, he would have had a chance to build his arm up again. Yeah, but I completely understand why they felt like it made more sense to do this. To put him out there and try to get five innings from him right now was better than the alternative, which essentially is like we were just saying, if Fetty does not start this game, then you're either going with a bullpen game and Jeffrey Rodriguez starting, or you're keeping Patrick Corbin, Max Scherzer a normal rest, and now that's forcing you to start John Lester this weekend against the Giants. So I can understand the thinking behind it. And Eric himself said that he felt fine and he felt like it really wasn't that much time off and that he was good to go. And I did ask him because we'd been wondering all this time, how did he get hurt? He said he felt it probably a couple hours after that start in Philly. And he said it wasn't one particular pitch or one moment, but as he was sort of cooling down from that start, he noticed the pain in his side. You know, officially it's an oblique strain, but clearly this was not the major oblique strain that we'll see sometimes from a hitter after a violent swing. He was able to pitch again in 13 days. So you don't do that with a serious oblique strain. So it probably wasn't that serious and that allowed him to come back. But yeah, in a perfect world, you'd like for him to face hitters, build the arm back up so that he's not taking them out against a very good Padres team and honestly being kind of rusty. You know, he was fine, like you said, but I think he would be even sharper if he had a chance to pitch in between. Yeah, I mean, the other thing with Lester, too, is you hate to lose his bat if they take him out of the rotation. So we'll have to we'll have to figure that out. You mentioned Jeffrey Rodriguez. He pitched on Tuesday night. I almost thought that Jeffrey Rodriguez was going to need a minor league rehab outing with how infrequently he's been utilized since he got brought up from AAA Rochester. But Davey ends up using four relievers in this 7-4 loss at the Padres on Tuesday night. Bullpen overall was pretty good. One run in three and two-thirds innings. It's hard to complain too much about that. Like I said, Sam Clay, though, did allow a couple of inherited runners to score. So that line is a bit misleading, but Clay got the final two outs in the Padres' three-run fifth. The returning Kyle Finnegan, good to see him back. He got activated on Tuesday. He'd been out with a left hamstring strain. The Nats optioning Ryan Harper and Kyle Lobstein to AAA Rochester. Finnegan with a scoreless bottom of the sixth. Andre Machado gave up the run in the bottom of the seventh on a couple of doubles. And then we saw Rodriguez toss that scoreless bottom of the eighth inning. Mark, that was just his fourth appearance since the Nats selected his contract from AAA Rochester That happened all the way back on June 12th. This game at the Padres on Tuesday night takes place on July 6th. All this time, all this talk we've had about the Nats' lack of depth and the bench options and John Lester pinch hitting, etc. And Jeffrey Rodriguez ends up making just his fourth appearance in nearly a month on the Major League roster on Tuesday night. And three of them have been basically these kind of mop-up appearances. The first one was the emergency start. Obviously, they needed that one. They needed him up for that, and and he pitched well in that one. Have they needed him this whole time since then? It doesn't seem to me like they have. It seems like they would have been better served with another bench player. But clearly somebody felt like they needed the depth and the extra arm just in case when something else happened along the way. And truth be told, it's not like they had a lot of 
healthy bench options waiting at AAA either. <laughs> They're down to their bare minimum at this point. We've seen what they've had to do just to get a couple of guys up as these injuries have cropped up. So, you know, I suppose I understand that to some extent, but it's felt like they really have not needed Rodriguez or at least have not needed somebody from the bullpen. When you pitch four times in however many days that was, you just said, and they're really, for the most part, meaningless appearances. They're not in high leverage or even medium leverage spots. I think you do have to question whether this was worth it or not, but too late. Can't change history now. I would really like to see it coming out of the all-star break, a fifth bench player. I think we have seen how that has impacted them. Hopefully they have enough healthy bodies. Hopefully Andrew Stevenson, who's played a couple of rehab games for Rochester, is on the verge of coming back. Maybe that'll be the impetus for getting another bench player. And I know that Davey doesn't trust Jeffrey Rodriguez, and I'm not here to tell you that Jeffrey Rodriguez is elite, but over his four appearances, he's allowed two runs in nine innings with seven strikeouts. I mean, it's not like he's been a mess when he has pitched. You know, low leverage spots, I get all that, but it is bizarre what has happened here with Jeffrey Rodriguez. Well, Nationals offensively on Tuesday night were just, you know, kind of ho-hum, not terrible, but certainly not great. Four runs, uh, eight hits, five walks, one of six with runners in scoring position. Rough night offensively for the Nats, numbers one, two, four, and eight batters. Alcides Escobar came back down to earth, at least in this game, 0 for 4 with a walk. Trey Turner had a rough night offensively, 0 for 5. Josh Bell, who's been so good lately, 0 for 4 with a strikeout. And Victor Robles, 0 for 4 with a strikeout. But what stands out with at least two of those guys, Mark, was some of the defensive plays that were on display. Trey Turner, my goodness, what a bottom of the first he ended up having. Multiple impressive defensive plays on ground outs by Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado. Trey on the Tatis ground out for the first out, capably backhanding the ball while headed toward third base, then throwing across his body, made a good enough throw to get the out. Very good job by Josh Bell. Really good pick by Bell at first base. Boy, has he been a nice surprise defensively at first this year. And then Trey on the Machado ground out, timing his bare handing of a chopper beautifully, firing to first in time to get Machado. And then the Robles catch, spectacular diving backhanded catch in the left center field gap to rob Jay Cronenworth of a hit for the first out in the bottom of the seventh inning. Machado delivers. This one is belted to left center field toward the gap, chasing Robles into a dive, and he caught it. Headlong diving catch on the backhand for Robles, robbing Cronenworth of extra bases. Machado tipping his cap out in Robles' direction. A gold glove play by Robles. These are two of the better defensive teams in baseball, the Nationals and the Padres. And over the first two games of this series, each team has done quite well defensively. Yeah, we have absolutely seen it on both sides. And that Robles catch, remember a few years ago, StatCast was putting out the route efficiency percentage, you know, like, oh, it was a 97% route efficiency. And essentially, did he take a perfect direct line to where the ball was? I haven't seen that in a while. I don't know if that's still out there. That felt like as perfect a route as you could take on that Robles catch. That was the only way he was going to get there to make that play. That was fantastic. He nearly threw out a runner at second, stretching the double. I even thought they might have gotten him when the foot came off the bag, but didn't get that call. Trey's two plays in the first inning were fantastic. But like you said, the Padres as well, the Tatis catch on Monday night is sensational. I mean, I I still don't know how he defied physics to do that. And then the relay to get Starlin Castro at the plate. And we could talk about the decision that Bobby Henley made to wave him around, which I did not think was a smart one under the circumstances. But let's still give some credit to the relay. They said that Tatis's relay throw was 95 miles an hour. 
Okay, that's a shortstop, not a pitcher. 95 miles an hour. He didn't need it to be. He probably only need to be about 85 to throw out Castro at the plate. But some really impressive defense on both sides so far in this series. Here's the pitch. Swing and a line drive. Deep left toward the corner. And one hop into the corner. A fair ball. Castro heading for third. He's getting the green light. He's going to try and score. Here comes the throw to the plate. The tag by Caratini. And he is out. Bobby Henley sending... Sterling Castro, the relay from the left fielder, jerks and Profar to the shortstop, Fernando Tatis, who has a cannon, and his one-hop throw was perfect. Yeah, I mean, the send was uh, interesting, and, you know, watching Castro as he rounded third, Castro did the thing that you'll see people do sometimes when they're running, and it's usually not done by fast people, where, like, they're waving their arms or their arms are kind of flailing in the air. And I don't know why that happens, but that's usually not a sign of, like, you're running particularly fast or that you're about to be safe. It's usually something, like, slower people do for whatever reason. And he ended up being out. Now, Castro did have another good night offensively, two for three with two singles and a walk. But him getting thrown out at home on that Jan Gomes went-out double in the top of the second and thrown out easily at home one of a few outs that the Nats made on the base paths in this game. You also had Juan Soto, who himself had a good night, two for four with a homer and a single. We don't want to just, you know, poo-poo that. Juan Soto with a one-out full count solo homer to left in the top of the sixth inning. But Soto, who gets this really good two-out single in the top of the first, was down to the count at 1.02. And then it's almost like an infield single that was hit to the outfield because he does such a nice job of hustling to leg out the hit despite Manny Machado, the Padres' third baseman, playing in shallow right field, catching the grounder, firing the first, but Soto getting there in time. But then Juan Soto, and this was just such a killer, he gets picked off. Now the throw to first and Soto's picked off. Hosmer running him towards second, throws to Cronenworth who tags him out. Soto tried to avoid it going out of the baseline. I mean, did, does did anybody we, pay attention? I mean, what did we talk about in that's on deck? That's just a horrible mental mistake there. You know he's got a pickoff move you're not trying to steal. That is inexcusable officially caught trying to steal second base for the third out of the inning. So we haven't really had the whole thing of the Nats making bad outs on the base pass that much lately, but that uh, phenomenon did pop up, at least to an extent, on Tuesday night. Yeah, and I think they both hurt them in in this case. Uh, Who knows what would have happened in the first inning, but maybe Josh Bell gets a good, you know, at bat and puts the ball in a gap, and next thing you know, Soto is scoring. And look, they had to know that Ryan Weathers, the Padres starter, had a good move as Dave Jagler of the radio broadcast put out in his pregame tweets, which I encourage everyone to read because he always has some good, interesting preview stats and info. He pointed out that Ryan Weathers has a fantastic move. He's picked off a bunch of runners and he caught Soto. I mean, he caught him red-handed, no chance on that one. Now on the uh, send of Castro, here's why I didn't like it there. In addition to just the fact that he was out by a mile, it's one out and Josh Harrison's coming up. And if you hold him at third, it's second and third and one out. Harrison, a lot of good things can happen with him at the plate there. He can drive in the runner with an out, either with a ground ball, because they're probably not going to play the infield in. He can drive in the runner with a fly ball, which is what he did. He hit a ball to the warning track that would have scored him. Or he might even have come through with a hit and a single is going to score two runs. So with no outs, with two outs, I can kind of understand the, the idea of sending him. But with one out and that particular hitter coming up, I didn't really understand the risk reward of that. It felt like you had a better chance of letting Harrison swing the bat to get the runner in. You know, obviously that cost him. And then wouldn't you know, three innings later, the exact same situation played out. Castro single, Gomes double, and this time they hold him at third and Harrison gets a swing. What's he do? He hits a three-run homer. Yeah, 
sending guys and being aggressive on the base paths is nice, but it's all like context dependent, right? I mean, you can't just say, well, we're aggressive. We always send guys like, no, the, the specifics of the inning matter. Who's doing the running matters with Josh Harrison was great to see him do as he did on Tuesday night. One for three, three run homer and a walk. And that was some homer, a three run bomb to center field, top of the fifth, tied the game at three. The homer going a projected 409 feet per stat cast. The homer, Josh Harrison's first homer since May 22nd. We've talked about Josh Harrison this year. Got off to the great start. Numbers really cratered. Good to see him hit a homer finally. I mean, his first homer in, what, a month and a half here. It's odd with the Nats this year. They've had guys in some major home run droughts. Juan Soto, Trey Turner, Victor Robles, Starling Castro, now Josh Harrison. Like, up and down the lineup, you've seen guys go weeks without hitting homers. But very nice to see that with Harrison. Like you said, he almost had another homer that loud out on the deep fly out to left field for the third out in the top of the second inning as uh, the Padres left fielder Jerickson Profar made a leaping catch of the warning track in front of that short wall. Harrison also had a walk. I mentioned Soto's homer, though. I wanted to get your take on this. Soto now has 10 homers this year. Nine of the 10 are on the road. He has one home run at Nationals Park. I mean, is that just a quirky thing that means nothing, or is there something to that? That that is bizarre that nine of his 10 homers have come on the road. It's really bizarre, Al, and I wish there was a good answer for that, and he's been asked about it, and he he doesn't know the answer to it, too, so maybe it is just a quirk. It's not like Nationals Park is a bad hitter's park, especially when the weather heats up, but for whatever reason, he has been able to elevate the ball on the road, and maybe on the road, he's been able to drive it the other way. We've seen a lot of his home runs have come to the opposite field. That's usually when he's at his best. He's not turning on a lot of balls and hitting them in the air. Certainly, this was a good one that he was able to go the opposite way with it off the lefty, right? Yeah, off Weathers. So I don't know. That's a bizarre one to me. I mean, he just finally got his first home home run during the last homestand. And who would have thought it would take until you know July 1st for that to happen? I certainly didn't. And I don't know if there's any good logical explanation for it. You got to believe that's going to even out eventually. But if nothing else, he just needs to hit more balls in the air wherever he's playing. And eventually those are going to start to go out for him. He continues to hit balls really hard. I know there are probably people hearing that who are sick of hearing that, but it is true. If you look at the StatCast data, there is so much to like with Juan Soto's season, with the exception of the launch angle, but he's hitting balls hard. Like if you can just fix his launch angle thing, the guy's going to go on a tear. We should also mention Jan Gomes. Really good night for him offensively on Tuesday night. Reaches base four times, goes three for three, two doubles, a single and a walk. He had a one-out double to left field in the top of the second, a double in the Nats three-run fifth, a two-out five-pitch walk in the top of the sixth, and a two-out single in the top of the eighth inning. We've noted this with Gomes. Obviously, he's been excellent this year throwing out base runners, but a good season offensively, especially when you view a season through the prism of a catcher. Like If you compare him to you know first baseman and what they've done hitting-wise, it's maybe not that great. But with so few good hitting catchers in baseball, Jan Gomes doing a nice job. He's slugging 443 on the season, has a 766 OPS. You know, with all the outrage over Max Scherzer not making the National League All-Star team, and there should be outrage, it's a joke. Jan Gomes has kind of gotten lost in all this. Of There was actually an at least decent argument for Jan Gomes to be on the National League All-Star team. There was. A, it turned out that the rest of the National League catching pool was a little deeper than I realized, especially offensively. Now, defensively, he's been phenomenal, been the best in the league at throwing out runners, and maybe that would have helped make the case. But I'm not surprised he didn't get as much attention around the league as maybe people who watch the Nats every day realize. But this was so remarkable. All three of those hits in Tuesday's game, they were like identical. Line drives down the left field line. Two were doubles. The third one he'd held up and decided not to go for two. But I feel like aside from 
you know, Trey Turner, maybe Josh Bell right now. There may be nobody else I'd rather have at the plate in a big spot than Jan Gomes. And that's a testament to what he's been able to do and come through in some big spots for them. And also, you know, implication of the others like Soto and Zimmerman at the moment, Castro, who have not been able to deliver in big spots. But right now, I mean, Jan Gomes is a guy you want at the plate with runners on base in a big spot. He has consistently shown that he can do it for you. And that, that's that been such a nice, pleasant development for them this year. We tended to think of him as like secondary to Kurt Suzuki the last few years. And maybe all along, they actually had themselves a really good quality starting catcher in Jan Gomes. And we're finally now seeing it this year. This is Jan Gomes' third season as a Nationals catcher of the many trades that have ended up being wins by Mike Rizzo over his time as Nationals GM. How about November 2018, the trade that landed the Nationals, Jan Gomes, with the Cleveland Indians? Uh, that's one of those trades that doesn't necessarily get highlighted a ton. The trade also, by the way, included Jeffrey Rodriguez, but that's a trade that really looks good looking back on it. The Nats getting what they've gotten out of Jan Gomes over these last three seasons. You can always email us here at the Nats Chat Podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We got this email from Sean. Quick question, simple question, maybe a complicated answer, but he asks, do you guys think we brought Victor Robles up too fast and stunted his hitting development? I would say no, but what do you say to that? I'm going to say probably not. I mean, he was very young when they called him up the first time, but he had a decent amount of AAA experience. This was not someone who made the quick leap from double A and didn't really spend time at the highest levels. And I look back at his full rookie season of 19, and I know there were some flaws along the way. It wasn't great, but I thought he was, you know, for a rookie and a 21-year-old at the time, I thought it was pretty good offensively. And especially coming through in big spots late in games, he hit 17 home runs. I don't think what we're seeing now from him is a reflection of not enough development. Yes, there are things that you would say at this point in his career, he should have learned how not to make the same mistakes that he's made. But I don't necessarily believe that that's because he didn't spend enough time in the minors. I think he had done what he needed to do at that level. And now it's just a matter of him making the adjustments at the big league level to account for what pitchers are doing to him. Yeah, I mentioned this in a recent installment of the podcast. Victor Robles initially was a ton of fun to watch offensively. He got called up briefly to the majors 2017-2018, and like you said, the true rookie season of 2019. But if you add up what Robles did 2017 through 2019, 710 plate appearances. That's not a small sample size, right? 710 plate appearances. He had an OPS plus of 95. He was basically a league average batter. You know, that's not great, but it was something. He had six triples during that span. That's another thing. We've talked about the homers. Where are the triples with Robles? He has one triple this season. He had one triple last season. Like, where's the electrifying Victor Robles that we thought we were going to have here offensively? I've mentioned this. I feel like the hope with Robles would be the Byron Buxton comp, that Robles, like Buxton, very good defensively, essentially from the get-go. It took Buxton years, though, to blossom offensively. Maybe for whatever reason, that's happening with Robles. But clearly, He has regressed offensively, and he's not close to the player as a hitter that we thought the Nats were having when he was coming up through the minors uh, for all those years. But I do think there's still hope. It is only his age 24 season. You know, it's not like this guy's 29 or something like that. So I don't think it's unreasonable to think that he could eventually become a much better hitter. But clearly, there's a ways to go with Robles with the bat. Well, think about how long they stuck with guys like Danny Espinosa and Michael A. Taylor, 
who were elite defensive players and struggled big time at the plate. So if their track record holds, they're going to give Victor Robles several more years to figure this out. And look, he has played an elite center field. That's nothing to gloss over. And that's an important thing to have in a center fielder. So if he can just start to figure it out offensively, they're going to want to keep him and not give up on him too soon. And as we've pointed out, we've been spoiled around here with some tremendous young, talented players who just take off right from the start. That's not always the path for everyone. Sometimes it does take a while. And in Victor Robles's case, and maybe even in Carter Keboom's case, who knows what's going to happen with him. Sometimes it does take a few years for it to happen. I don't see them giving up on him, but you just need to see some signs. You know, there just are not enough offensively. It's not even he's not hitting the homers and triples and all that. Like, he's just not hitting the ball that hard. It's not like we say, oh, man, he got a hold of that one and it was caught at the warning track. Like, he's just not even coming close. It's weak contact all the time, if there's contact at all. And I don't know how to explain that because that's not who we saw as a rookie in 2019. No, it's not. And there's been regression. Like, it's not that he's staying the same. It's that he's getting worse. And uh, that's obviously troubling. Well, you tell us what you think. You can always email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast, email the mastermind of the Nats Chat Podcast, Tim Schobers, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can always tweet us too, at Nats underscore Chad. If you're listening, especially on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if you could, please give the podcast a five-star rating and just write like a one-sentence review saying how much you like the podcast. Those things actually matter a lot in terms of the rankings of the Nats Chat Podcast. We continue to rate very well on especially Apple Podcasts in the U.S. baseball category, but we certainly would like to keep that going. So we appreciate uh, all the help you guys can provide in that regard. I mentioned the Secret Weapon t-shirts. You can get one of those. You can get a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. 3-2 on its way. Swinging a high fly ball left center field. This is deep. Back on it, Grisham to the warning track at the wall. He's out of room and it's gone. An opposite field home run to left center. About three rows in. That's number 10 on the season for Soto. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League Podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.